Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, everybody. Welcome to A Bite of the Big Apple. I'm Howard David. Happy to welcome in the voice of the New York Jets. He is Bob Wischusen. So what does the voice of the New York Jets do during the month of February? I guess you're into ESPN doing some college baskets. Yeah, I call games primarily with Dick Vitale and Fran Fraschilla from one floor down from where I am right now, which is I'm sitting in the den of my house. <laughs> And I go down a flight of stairs into my basement and call games. And then when the game's over, I walk up from my basement to the kitchen and I get a beer and I say hi to my wife. And that's the life of an ESPN broadcaster right now. We're all in our houses and it could not be stranger. Yeah, well, I, I guess initially when you first started to do that, it must have felt weird. I mean, how do you get into that? It's just, it's never not going to be weird. Um, you know, I mean, you know, because you've done a million games, you know, the idea of, watching a game on television and also not being next to your park. So not having that kind of unspoken language of when are you going to jump in? When do you have something to say? Okay, now it's back to the game. I have to do a promo, you know, recognize I'm holding a card here and stop talking so I can read the, now the promo's done. You can start talking. All of that is out the window because you're not next to each other. You can't see each other. So, and the game is, you know, you miss stuff too because you're calling things off of a monitor. So not only is it sometimes hard to identify players because it's on a monitor, but two, you are a total like slave to the shots that the director picks rather than if you were at the game, you would look where you want to look and where your eyes need to go. So, you know, I'm, I'm, look, I'm thankful we're doing games. Um, nobody, I think, in our business is complaining, you know, much yeah. outside of the inconvenience of the weirdness of doing this because we're doing the games and, that is way better than the worst case scenario, but I really hope that this is something that when all of this goes away, the way we're doing games right now goes with it. Uh, about the closest I've ever come to doing that was, have you done games in uh, at the home of the Cowboys? Yes. And you know the broadcast positions there. Yes. So yep. uh, I wound up calling the game off that gigantic screen. That hangs over the that hangs over the field. That's about as close as I've come, you know, to right. doing what you're doing. But let me let me ask you this. So let's say, just for the sake of argument, like it's fourth down and three at the 35 yard line, and maybe a team's going to try a field goal. Maybe they're going to go for it. And up on that screen, you see like a shot of the quarterback, like walking around by the huddle, and then a shot of the defensive coordinator or something. At least if you're there, you can look down to the sideline and see a whole bunch of little dudes running out on the field and realize, oh, they're changing personnel. Here comes the field goal kicker. When you're just doing it off a monitor and all you see is the monitor, like there are times during the games this year with the Jets on the road, I'm saying to Marty Lyons, you know, Marty, it looks like they might go for it here. What do you think? And all of a sudden, the camera like pans to the left 
and the field goal kicker's lining up the field goal. <laughs> and, all, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I guess they're not going for it. I guess they are going to try a field goal. So, yeah, it's just, you know, not being there, you are a dozen times a game totally hung out to dry because you can't look at what you need to look at to tell people what's going on. Uh, so you work with the great Marty Lyons, who's one of the greatest people I've ever been around. Forget about yep. broadcaster, just people. Um, yep. And I was involved with Marty and his foundation, and he's just, I mean, there's not a, there's not a better person on the planet that I've encountered. Uh, so that's somewhat normal, and Fran Fraschilla is somewhat normal. And then you get Vital, and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he is a character of the First Order. But uh, I'll tell you, everything that you said about Marty and his foundation and how great of a guy he is, that is everything, you know, just paralleled over to, uh, to Dick Vitale as well. Like, he is tireless in terms of the V Foundation, his gala, his books, raffles for these cars he gets sponsored, and every dollar of everything that he does all goes to the pediatric cancer research. It's just... It is is a lifelong thing for mm. him. I mean, he's he's probably by the time, um, you know, he he, you know, he leaves us, he will have probably raise fifty million dollars for the V Foundation. Wow, or maybe. That's great. That's great. Well, I don't know Dick that well other than to say hello to, but uh, I've heard the same thing about him from a lot of people. Uh, th- what's interesting is we shift gears as he does this subtly. We shift gears to the National Football League, and I don't remember a year where every year you get the coaching carousel, right? Jobs open, got jobs get filled. I don't think I've ever seen a year where there's been a quarterback carousel like we're seeing right now. I know. It's crazy. It is. It's crazy. And the Jets obviously are right in the middle of it. Well, yeah, and so that brings you to the, you know, the, uh, and I don't know if if the new coach, Robert Sala, and, um, and uh, Joe Douglas, the general manager, sat down at length and discussed Sam Darnold and his future with the New York Jets because the options are plentiful. They either keep Darnold and use the second overall pick to add to what they have, whether it's the tackle from Oregon or a wide receiver or whatever, uh, or do they trade Darnold and do they, I mean, we, he's been rumored in, in, in you know, link with Deshaun Watson of, of Houston. But I talked to um, um, to the people in Houston, and I mean he's digging in. Uh, the Houston organization's digging in. They're not going to trade him. Yeah, it's that. I mean that's that's their public, you know, facing stance. Uh, the Jets had that same stance last year with Jamal Adams, and then traded him. So I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if at some point it gets to the point. Where if you're Houston, you just have to swallow your pride and say there are irreconcilable differences here. This player, you know, is absolutely positively not going to ever play for us again. And he'll, you know, I mean, he'll he'll lay beyond Bellet. Like, he'll sit out before he plays for us again. And you just have no choice but to, uh, to give in, swallow your pride, and trade him. You know, and then what do you get? If the whole world knows you have to trade him, you have no choice. You know, will you get the same price as if teams are legitimately threatened by maybe you'll keep them? Talking with Bob Wishus and the voice of the Jets on a bite of the Big Apple in New York. And look, when you when you talk about, and you know this, I mean, you worked in Miami as I did. And, and uh, you, you know, you get to New York, you get to the Big Apple. 
it's a big deal. Let's face it. You're the voice of the Jets. It's a big deal. You're the voice of the Giants. It's a big deal. The Knicks, the Rangers, uh, Yankees, Mets, you know, whatever. It's a big deal. It's a pro town, uh, with the exception of probably the mid-'80s when the Big East was so big and St. John's was, was so prevalent. Uh, it's still a pro town, and I guess will always be a pro town. Yep, I agree. So now when you deal with an organization like the Jets and the negativity is rampant every year, 10 straight years didn't make the playoffs, uh, when can that turn around? Because eventually things do turn around. And you hope, and based on what everybody's saying about Robert Sala, the new head coach, I mean, from Richard Sherman to everybody who's on the 49ers to every coach that's been there, is there, everybody's raving about this guy. And it seems on the surface that the Jets made the right hire. I've not heard anyone, you know, suggesting that they made the wrong hire. Let's put it that way. I mean, I've heard some people say, you know, all right, like slow your roll, you know, put the brakes on, let's see what he actually does. But I have not heard anything other than rave reviews. I always think it's a good sign, too, when social media floods with a whole bunch of guys that played for or worked with a coach and his old head coaches his old assistants, his old players are all coming out saying, way to go, Jets, you got a great one. And, and you heard a lot of that when he got hired. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm really optimistic that, that they, they hit a home run here and got the right guy. Um, what are they going to do, you know, with the quarterback, obviously, is, is the number one jumping off point. But I, I don't know. I mean, maybe after 10 years of just being – uh, you know, at the, at the bottom looking up in the NFL, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that they're kind of in a no-lose situation. Like, I think Sam Darnold could still do this. I think he can do it at a high level. I just think he's been hung out to dry with no help for the last three years. And I think if they give him some help, he's going to surprise everyone. Or he could go somewhere else and I think have a very good NFL career. Or they're going to end up with Deshaun Watson. Or they're going to draft one of these young guys. But I think there's several quarterbacks in this draft that also could be very good and have a high ceiling. And you'd still hold on to your draft capital if you were to either draft a quarterback or stay with Sam and use number two to maybe trade down and add more picks or give him some help. So if the worst case scenario is Sam Darnold's the starting quarterback and they've got, you know, however many picks in the top hundred next year to go give him some help, you know, I, I look at all of their scenarios as being pretty good. Bob, I, I, um, I spend a lot of time, a couple of times a month, I talk to Bill Parcells. I've maintained a relationship with Bill since when he was a defensive coordinator with the Giants. Uh, and I, I, I trust his judgment and his value. I mean, he knows he's forgotten more about football than I'll ever know. Um, but he's, he likes Darnold. He thinks Darnold can be a productive NFL quarterback. Uh, but like you just said, he just doesn't have a lot around him. How many times last year did the Jets have their top three receivers in the game at the same time? Half a dozen? Yeah, maybe not even. So it's, I mean, I don't care if you're Johnny Unitas, Tom Brady, uh, Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, Joe Montana. You don't have weapons around you. Your chances of being successful are slim. Or an offensive line. Yeah. Which, I mean, I think they have a lot of faith that they got it right at left tackle. You know, that Makai Becton is a legit franchise left tackle, but the rest of their offensive line is mediocre 
at best at certain spots and still below average, significantly below average at certain spots. And I said this, look, I'm not trying to compare Sam Darnold to Patrick Mahomes in any way, shape, or form. But if you watch the Super Bowl, you've got the best quarterback, you know, that we've seen in, I don't know, maybe since Aaron Rodgers was six or seven years younger. Like, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is a generational talent, and I think if you had a draft tomorrow in the NFL, he'd be the number one pick for every team in the NFL. That would be the guy that they would pick to start off their franchise with. And you see the effect, even on a player of that ilk. What happens when you spend the whole game running for your life? And he spent the whole Super Bowl running for his life. Now, I've watched Sam Darnold basically play that same game every time he's been out there for the most part for the last three years. And he's actually even had some good games when he's been running for his life. But I don't remember too many games where Sam Darnold could just stand back there and go through his progressions and go through his reads in a clean pocket and deliver a pass unmolested. So Patrick Mahomes behind a porous offensive line couldn't get in the end zone. All they did was generate field goals and spent the whole game running around. And I agree with you. I mean, you take the best of the best of the best and you put them in that circumstance. They're not going to look very good. Bob was using the radio voice of the New York Jets. Uh, what, not 20 years for you, right? This coming year, I think, will be 20 years. So they're going to have a yeah. cake for uh, Is Marty going to have a cake for you? Uh, well, it's 20 years for him, too. So yeah. I think the two of us will just look at each other and realize how old we are. <laughs> And the fact that you had the job before me doesn't speak well of you either. By the way, you're you you know you're you're uh, you know you're you're ahead of us in terms of the social security line. Yeah, well, the, well, that's true. I don't I don't I don't dispute that at all. Uh, but you see, I, my my some of my people said to me, "What are some of your favorite memories in broadcasting?" Clearly, uh, when the Jets went to the AFC Championship game in '98 and lost uh, after having a ten nothing lead at halftime over Denver. Uh, and Dave Jennings and I were talking at halftime that uh, this is going to be great. The Jets have a shot at going to the Super Bowl. Wouldn't that be great? Now, keep this in mind. I was I was working for CBS Radio at the time. Also, I was going to do the Super Bowl whether the Jets got in or not. But I wanted to broadcast the Super Bowl for the Jets because that was going to be a big deal. It didn't right. it didn't happen. And then a couple of years later, I started doing some games with Dan Reeves who, if you remember, was the Atlanta Falcons head coach in that same year. And uh, they lost to Denver in the Super Bowl. And I said, Coach, you know the Jets of the four teams, Denver, Minnesota, Atlanta, and the Jets. The Jets had the best team that year, in my opinion. Testaverde was having a career year. Curtis Martin led the league in rushing. They had a great receiving core with Keyshawn Krebet and, and a lot. And Brian Cox anchoring their defense. They were loaded. And we argued for an hour over dinner one night. And then after an hour, he finally said, you know what? You're right. They were the best team of the four. <laughs> right. Right. It, was a, yeah. it was a letdown, to be honest. Yeah, hey, when Blake Spence blocked that punt, and you know I'm a Jet fan if I remember Blake Spence blocking that punt, and it was 10 nothing. I mean, we thought they were going to the Super Bowl. Well, what happened beginning of the third quarter, and, and help me, it was Dave Meggett was returning yep. kicks for the Jets, and the wind was fierce that day. The wind was blowing towards Meggett, which means it was blowing away from him, and he muffed the opening kickoff in the third quarter, and the, yep. and the Broncos then followed up with a touchdown drive, and the, and the game went completely backwards. The Jets turned it over a lot, 
And I remember, Bob, going into the locker room when the game was over. I went into Parcell's office. And I'm going to tell you, he had his eyes were moist. He had tears in his eyes. He said, my own guys let me down Yeah. because of all the turnovers. I mean, I think Keith Byers fumbled the ball yes, in that game. If I yes, yes, I like yes. The most reliable guys, guys that in their careers have never fumbled the ball, fumbled the ball in that game. Well, you know, these, you know, that, that's all part of the game. It's, it's disheartening. But to this day, Parcells will tell you that is the most difficult loss of his entire career. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Well, you know, some years later, or actually two years before he was the Jets coach, uh, he was with the New England Patriots. They go to the Super Bowl when Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback before uh, what's-his-name took over. What's the guy's name again? Brady. Yeah, yeah before he, he took good. over. Uh, and they lose to uh, Brett Favre of the Green Bay Packers in the Super Bowl because Desmond Howard decided to run back a kickoff 99 yards for a touchdown. Uh, you, you think back to some of the great games that you've done and, and the highlights of your career, and it's not really that hard. I mean, I'm sitting here in the middle now for the last eight months collecting notes because I'm going to write a book about some things, you know, more tongue-in-cheek, more humorous things that have happened funny things that I've heard athletes say, but clearly that 98 season is forever in my memory. Sure. Yeah. I mean, for me, 2009 and 2010, you oh, know, right. the Jets were, uh, you know, they were 19 point or 17 point underdogs or something. I went up to new England and won that playoff game and got to back to back championship games. And, you know, thought there was a decent chance that one of those teams might get to a super bowl. And that was a lot of fun. It's funny too. You went to Miami 2002 the first year marty and i did the jets together and that season they started off the year two and five i mean they were and they were hopeless like three games four games into the season they won their first game and they lost their next three games by a combined score of like 115 to like 25 or something i mean they got destroyed three weeks in a row and then they went on this run after they benched Vinny Testaverde and started Chad Pennington at quarterback. And they went on this run from two and five to winning the division on the last Sunday of the season. And they played the Colts in the first round of the playoffs with a young quarterback named Peyton Manning and beat the Colts like 41 to nothing. I remember or something in the, in the, in, in kind of the infancy still of Peyton's career. He was only like three years into his career. And I remember leaving the Meadowlands that day and saying to Marty, man, that was fun. Like, how great was that? The place was just absolutely going ballistic. It was awesome. You know, Jet fans, you know, at a home playoff game, you know, were coming apart at the seams. And that was it. That's the last time we've called a home playoff game. They haven't had a home playoff game since then. That was 20 years ago. So, yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're the Jet broadcaster, unlike being the Patriots broadcaster – you know, or, or one of the teams that uh, has had a little bit more success. You're the Jet broadcaster. Those moments really stick out um, because we have not had many of them. Bob was using the radio voice of the Jets, taking a bite of the Big Apple today. I remember, uh, and, and I don't know why Tom Brady has not sent a, a yearly Christmas package to Mo Lewis. So he's the guy that knocked out Drew Bledsoe in that game in Foxborough. Um, I mean, Tom, no one even, people knew who Tom Brady was as a quarterback in Michigan, but he was the 199th pick of the draft. Right. And so, you know, and, and you look back on that now 20 years later and what he's accomplished, um, 
I think it's fair to say people will argue saying he's not the greatest of all time. How can you dispute it? He's got six rings, seven rings. Yeah, I mean, if you don't think he's the greatest of all time, then you're just someone who's like looking for an argument. I mean, you know, because the guy's more rings than any other organization. So in a football, I mean, he, you know, he's got he's got seven, and the Patriots have six. And like the 49ers and the Steelers, the Cowboys, or whatever, have five, and whatever the list is, he's got seven. I mean, he's got more, he has more Lombardi trophies than any individual NFL organization. No, that's true. If I, if I were to reach for the greatest of all time, I'd have to say Bill Russell, because he's got 11 rings. Oh, yeah, but if you're talking about, you know, just team sports in general, then you have definitely have arguments to make with other athletes and other sports. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the NFL... Yeah, I mean, who, you know, how, how do you not take Brady's accomplishments? Let's, uh, let, let's uh, look at this scenario now that's on, on the cusp of developing. It hasn't already. Uh, Woody Johnson, I imagine, is going to be returning to assume his previous role before he took the ambassadorship to England. Uh, what will change, if anything? I don't know. I don't think much. Um, Christopher Johnson, I feel, still think, is going to be involved. So it'll be another voice in the room. But I think people have a misconception about Woody and Christopher Johnson. You know, because things haven't gone well, because John Idzik and Mike McCagden as general managers and Adam Gase, you know, as a coming, just has not gone well, to say the least. I think people somehow, you know, turn the, the circumstances as they actually are into a mushroom crowd, cloud and look for it to be bigger and worse than it actually is, as if the Johnson brothers are Jerry Jones or Daniel Snyder, and they're super involved, you know, super overbearing, you know, they're sticking their nose into everything. I mean, they don't do that. Like, they've made a couple of bad hires, don't get me wrong. They've definitely made a couple of mistakes with a couple of the guys they've hired. But when they hire someone, that that person that they hire pretty much has full autonomy to go do their job. So, like, Joe Douglas is in charge. And Joe Douglas was the driving force behind hiring Robert Sala. Joe Douglas is going to make the Sam Darnold decision. Joe Douglas is going to conduct the draft. So these are not overbearing, nosy, super-involved owners. I mean, they are owners that want to be in the loop, and they're the ones that are going to write the check so they're certainly in the room. Christopher Johnson was in on all of the meetings to meet and hire the head coach. But this is not going to be one of those things where, like, you know, Joe Douglas wanted, I don't know, Eric Bieniemy, and said, I think that's the best guy to be the head coach of our team. And Christopher Johnson said, no, forget it. I'm hiring Robert Sala. But that's not the way this went down at all. Like, Joe Douglas, he is the one that is making – all of the recommendations, and I really think the buck stops with him. I would agree. Uh, I, I would agree. Uh, look, there's there's so much discussion about. Well, Christopher Johnson uh, enlisted the the uh, the assistance of Peyton Manning, and that's the reason why uh, Adam Gase was hired. Uh, look, this is not hindsight, Bob. At the time Adam Gase was hired, I said why, uh, because of what his his great record in Miami, uh, his great record in making Ryan Tannehill a top-notch quarterback? Uh, the answer is no to both of those. The fact of the matter is, this was a decision they made, 
Eric Bieniemy, it was such a before this whole carousel started. I said Eric Bieniemy is going to have his pick of the litter, and he doesn't even get a job. I know that's a little confusing to me. Yeah, and you wonder if this whole process was delayed, you know, an extra month or so, and if there was an NFL-wide rule: no hirings, no interviews, no nothing until the playoffs are over. You know, what would Todd Bowles' situation be right now? Would he be someone that would have a much better chance of getting a second opportunity? Um, you know, I think all the guys that coach in the Super Bowl and have a chance to show, you know, what they can do um, would, would probably have a much better chance. You know, they, they are, in a way, they are victims of their own success in terms of the calendar. You look at the the Jets have, what, nine draft choices, I think, but they, I think they have four of them in the first, what, 90 picks? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got their first-round pick number two. They've got Seattle's first-round pick number 23. Right. They've got their second-round pick. They've got their third-round pick and a giant third-round pick as well from the Leonard Williams trade. And the Giants, obviously, are, you know, a team that was below 500. So I have to take a look. Now, there are compensatory picks in there in the third round that might lengthen it out a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got five picks in the top 100. And they've got about $71 million under the cap. Correct. Yeah, they have a lot of maneuverability. They, they're one of the teams that carried over a significant amount of last year's cap into this year's cap as well. When you look at, and people always use it, it's the term of the 90s into the 2000s, culture change. And the Jets do need a culture change, let's be fair. Um, aside from Becton, the draft choice of last year, and Quinn and Williams the year before, the previous eight number one picks are no longer on the roster. Yes. That's got to change. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, and it's not even a culture change. Like, a culture change implies that, you know, maybe it's like what the Bengals used to be. Like, we've got a lot of really talented players who are bad guys, and we need to get a whole new vibe in the building and get – like, the Jets have a lot of guys in their locker room that I think if you were around them, you'd say, oh, these are really good guys. I hate to say it, but they're just not very good at football. But they need they need to find better, more impactful players. You know, they do have some guys that I think I could see, you know, being middle-of-the-roster soldier-type players, role players, which you have to have. I mean, not everybody could be a star. Like, you, I mean, there's 60 guys that are going to potentially factor in um, in any week in the NFL. Like, you, you have to have a lot of guys that are role players. But... Man, oh man! Like, look at their roster and give me the guy that changes the game. Like, Makai Becton can change the game because you can run behind him and he can eliminate the best pass rusher of any team that they play. But skill position-wise, offensively, they don't have anybody. There's not one guy that really changes the game. Um, so, not only do I think that they will look in the first three rounds at wide receiver, you know, maybe a tight end, but in free agency. Yes. I mean, why should they not be a player for an Allen Robinson or a Juju Smith-Schuster or anybody at the top of that list? Yeah, or William Fuller. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, but the, have the, the names you mentioned are also going to be names that are going to draw interest from other teams. <laughs> yep. I mean, you know that. So uh, do you draft a tackle from Oregon uh, to give you your bookend tackles for the next 10 years? That would certainly be a very solid way to go. Um you know, I mean, they and also in free agency, we're talking about the skill position guys. Maybe a, you know, a Tooney or someone like that, a guard. I mean, they, you know, they, 
they would do themselves a big, big service by not only looking at offensive line in the draft, but also trying to add a couple of guys in the offensive line and free agency as well. He's Bob Bushus and the radio voice of the Jets. Uh, I, I, I sat in the seat that you're sitting in when you when you got a team that's not doing well, and you got to try to come up with. And so you're blessed. I mean, you got Marty Lyons sitting uh, alongside of you, figuratively speaking. And so you, you got a guy that knows the game inside and out. He's a great guy. He's, he's your friend and, and all that. But, I mean, I've been in situations with the New Jersey Nets when they were 17-game winners my first year, and I'm doing games on the road figuring, how am I going to make this thing sing? <laughs> and you know it's hard. Yes. So yes. you come to no pre- I mean, you know, all, all we could do each week is you could go – you know, it's funny. The Jets had – that horrendous loss to the Raiders on that last play of the game when, you know, Greg Williams got himself fired. And after the game was over, I had a couple of people texting me and a couple people calling me going, oh, my God, like that must have been brutal. That was awful. Like, I can't believe how they lost that game. And me telling them, like, yeah, it was bad, but, like, it was fun. I got to call a game down to the last play. I mean, think about three weeks earlier when they were losing 34 to 10 with three minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like, that's no fun. That's bad. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, when, when, you, when you have a team playing the way that the Jets were playing most of this year, then, you know, you're, you're just holding on to whatever positive you can. And we've just told ourselves each week, we're going to go in, we're going to do what we do, we're going to document the game, call the game, and hope for a good game. And if you get a game that goes down to the last play as a broadcaster, granted, if you're the Jets broadcaster, you're hoping it goes their way a few more times. But this past season, when they're 2-14, and 14, I mean, the weeks even that they lost when it was a good game with five minutes to go, I, I hung on to those games because, you know, there were plenty of others that weren't like that. People will debate, Jets fans will debate, the Jets should have tanked to get Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I don't know anybody who goes into an NFL locker room as a player before the game starts, they want to lose. They want to win. It doesn't make any difference what your record is. They're competitors, and they want to win. That that, that would seem to be the answer to those people that say that, but you can understand where people are coming from. You get a chance to get a generational quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, you do what you got to do. Yeah. You know, I said when the Jets lost that game, to the Raiders, and I was calling, you know, that the, the last play touchdown, it was a very weird feeling because, of course, you're calling this kind of soul-crushing play for the team you're broadcasting for while fully aware that, like, 95% of the fans of that team were cheering because they lost. <laughs> Because they were all still hoping for Trevor Lawrence. So that's not the way that this worked out, and they're not going to get him. But uh, but I understand it. I mean, when you're going through a season where, you know, a team looks like they might go 0-16 or 1-15, you certainly want the payoff at the end that, you know, at least you went through it for something. And uh, and they didn't end up getting Trevor Lawrence. Well, I hope things work out, Bob. Uh, I have, I, I'm on board with Robert Sala. I'm, I'm buying into what people are saying. And I, uh, I wish the Jets well because, you know, I'd like to see it make it easier for you. You deserve a break. I appreciate it. It's been a while. Hey, you stay safe, Bob. Thanks. Thanks, Howard. Bob Shusen, the radio voice of the New York Jets.
it's, you think it's easy? Man, I've been there, done that. It sucks. But how many NFL jobs are there? It's 32. Okay? Enough said. You want one of those jobs. You want to call a game involving a New York team because people are paying attention to what you have to say. Here he is, Ryan Geltseiler from Sirius XM NBA Radio. How you doing on this fine day? Good, Howard. How are you? I can't complain. Nobody cares, you know. <laughs> it's like that famous line from, what was it, The Bronx Tale? Yeah, that's it, right? When Sonny says to the kid, he says, nobody cares. Nobody cares. But You're you know what? Right. Nobody Pe- cares. People care. He's Brian Geltseiler <laughs> from Sirius XM NBA Radio. I, I saw some things... In the last couple of days in the NBA that I'm going, what? <laughs> but the, the weirdest thing I saw was the Sixers lose to the Utah Jazz last night. Didn't surprise me because the Jazz are ridiculous. They've won 19 of the last 20 games. Um, ben Simmons scores over 40 points and doesn't yeah. attempt a three-point shot. Not one. In this That's day and age? Game. That's not his game, Howard. And, no, I know. And, I know. It's, it's something you don't see often in the NBA these days, but he knows who he is on that floor. And I will tell you this about Ben Simmons. He did something a whole lot more important than shooting threes last night. He went 12 or 13 from the free throw line. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I want your listeners to understand how enormous that is. Because some, and, and even though the Sixers lost that game last night, and they didn't defend well, and they're not the same defensive team without Joel Embiid on the floor. And listen, Tobias Harris was super last night also. He had 36 points and played a great game. The two of those guys down the stretch were really, really good. But the thing for Simmons is that there are times late in games he doesn't want the ball on his hands because he doesn't have any confidence in his ability to make free throws. For him to go to the line 13 times and hit 12 of them last night on the road in Utah against right now the team that looks like the best team in the NBA currently, for him to be able to go do that is a very, very good thing going forward and for his future and for his confidence for the Sixers because we know, Howard, how important it is when you have a point guard that your point guard is willing, confident, comfortable to have that ball late in games, get fouled, and be able to go to the free throw line in ice games. Ben Simmons has always shied away from that because he hasn't been a good free throw shooter. But a night like that last night, 12 or 13, absolutely amazing. And listen, Simmons, after 12 or 13 last night, is still only shooting 66% from the free throw line for the season. So it's I, I kind of feel like that could, last night could be a little bit of a turning point for him, and he may have turned the corner on something that, to me, with ben, for Ben Simmons, is so much more important than shooting three-point shots. Well, the Jazz are the most uh, predominant three-point shooting team in the league. They average 17 and a half, almost 18 threes made per game. That's astounding. It, it certainly is, but that's their style of play. Yep. And what they've done with this team is they've brought in guys that can shoot it, um, and and they play good defense. Rudy Gobert is a huge part, obviously, what they do defensively. But they what the Jazz did in the offseason – 
is a couple things that were very, very smart. Number one, they brought in Derek Favors because when Gobert leaves the floor, they still have a really good defensive big on the floor. And last year, that was a huge problem for them. They were trying to use Tony Bradley in that spot. He was a mess. So that that certainly is a big issue. you got to remember also, in the bubble last year, they were without Bohan Bogdanovich, who is their best three-point shooter and does a great job there. So getting him back has been big. But here's the other move they made, and they were widely panned for this move at the time they made it. They re-signed Jordan Clarkson four years, $52 million. And people are saying, what the hell are you doing? The fact is, Jordan Clarkson is a volume scorer that the Jazz need desperately off that bench. And right now, hands down, he's a sixth man of the year in the NBA. He went last night against Philly for 40 points on 20 shots, 8 of 13 from 3. And there's, listen, there's some nights that Clarkson does shoot too much, and on those nights, they'll certainly sit him down. Quinn Snyder will sit him down. A night like last night, he was feeling it. He gets that irrational confidence going, fires from everywhere, and he was fantastic last night. 13 to 20 from the field, 6 to 7 from the free throw line. Guy's sixth man of the year right now. So he goes for 40 last night. The Jazz are getting in a lot of different spots, but they're playing very, very faithful to their style of play. They like to shoot those threes. That's a very big deal for them. And not that Donovan Mitchell won't make plays off the bounce, not that Bogdanovich won't make plays off the bounce. Ingle's such an instinctive player and a smart passer and sets people up well. And even Georges Niang has played very well for them this year. He's not much of a defender out there. But you know when He comes in the game and, and he'll hit some threes. Now, again, he's only shooting 33% from three on the year. But recently, he's heated up a little bit during this Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.